Good morning. Working in the chapel office the past few years comes with uh, some benefits. You got to use the chapel slides to do cool stuff, um, but also you got to introduce chapel speakers sometimes. Um, so our chapel speaker today uh, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Christian home. He attended Covenant, graduated in 1989. Um, while there, he lived on what was known as Bells, um, just Bells all the time, um, before becoming the RA of Second South. Um, he did his ministerial studies at RTS in Atlanta. Um, currently, he's the executive pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, he's on the board of Covenant, and he also serves as the MTW Pastoral Associate for the UK. Uh, he's a great husband to his wife, Wendy, who's also a Covenant grad, and then he's a fantastic father to two sons, Scott, who's a graduate of 2015, and me. So, please give a warm Scott's welcome to my dad. Thank you, Mr. Student Body President. That's what he makes me call him. Can't wait till he graduates. That'll be done. Thanks for having me this morning. It's a joy to be here. I've had an opportunity to preach in a lot of places uh, over the years, but uh, this is kind of on my bucket list, just to be able to come back to Covenant and speak at chapel, so I'm thrilled uh, to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. As you're turning there, let me tell you a story about your uh, student body president. When uh, he was a, a wee lad, about uh, seventh grade or so, uh, one time I had fixed him a, a delicious dinner for whatever reason. It was just the two of us at home that evening. And uh, before he sat down to eat his McDonald's, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I reminded him he needed to go wash his hands. And, and so he did. And when he came back, I said, Jonathan, there's, there's something I need to tell you. And he stopped, and he walked right up to me, and he put his arms up on my shoulders. Now I put my arms up on his shoulders when we want to talk. But he put his arms up on his shoulders, and he looked right in my eyes. He said, Pop, you can tell me anything you want to tell me, unless you're about to tell me that you don't really love me. I thought, whoa. I mean, because I mean, Jonathan, in his world and life view, he knew that his parents' love was foundational and that his parents' love for him was a picture of the love for Jesus. Now, all I was going to tell him is I ate one of his french fries when I was out of the room. <laughs> but nonetheless, but when I, when I think about that, that time, I'm reminded that it's kind of the way all of us are, isn't it? That, that we want to be sure that Jesus really does love us. We desire that in our hearts. Because and, and, we know that the, when Jesus loves his people, it's deep and it's real. And I want us to look at a, a text this morning where, where we see where Jesus meets his people in their despair and in their uncertainty. I whispered to Jonathan while we were singing that, that opening song we just sang, it goes perfect with what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to look at John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 17, but let me set the scene for you just a little bit. The first 16 verses, fairly familiar text, right? It's, it's Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I, I suspect most of you have heard this text before. So in the first 16 verses, uh, Lazarus is, is sick, and some of his friends come to Jesus and say, you need to come heal Lazarus. He's sick. And Jesus decides to stick around another couple of days before he makes his trip over to see Lazarus. So we're going to begin in verse 17. Follow along with me. Remember, this is 
the word of God. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said the, these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen, strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. All of us from time to time make plans, right? And I remember when I was a student here uh, back in the 80s, uh, living on, on Second South, I had uh, uh, several, yeah, yeah, come on, Second South, right? Uh, I, I had several roommates. I had Scott Dillon, John Latner, and Steve Hall. And often the plan for us was, to go to bed at a fairly reasonable hour. And, and we would go to bed sometimes fairly regularly around the 11 o'clock hour. But every now and then, uh, our, usually because of our roommate Steve Hall, Stevie, about one in the morning, would say, fellas, hey fellas, I'm hungry. And there was no debate. The sleep was at that point over, and within 30 minutes we'd be sitting in crystals uh, down at the mountain, the base of the mountain, eating our, our crystals to about two in the morning. Our plans for sleep that night would get 
interrupted us. And all of us make plans from time to time, and then all of us find our plans to go awry. In our text this morning, uh, the friends of Lazarus had a great plan. Lazarus is sick, let's go get the teacher, he'll come and he'll heal him. That, that, that sounds like a pretty good plan. And yet, as it turns out, that uh, uh, Jesus had a different plan. And often in our life, when Jesus has a different plan than we do, it can bring about hurt and pain. You see, in, in the, the passage several times here, people come to Jesus and they say, if you just would have come, if you just would have come, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And, and you know what they're saying here? They're, they're, they're saying, if you really loved us, if you really loved Lazarus, you would have done things our way. It, if you really love us, why, why is this bad stuff happening in our lives? Do you ever feel like Jesus has forgotten you? Do you ever feel unloved or overlooked? Do you ever feel like these people look at your life and just want to cry to Jesus, you should have done something different. This was not the plan. I'm hurting here. I believe every person in this room can relate to these people in some way. It just might be more subtle than what's in this passage. For example, have you ever felt given up on? Anybody? Have you ever had someone who loved you decide to write you off? Have you ever felt isolated or lonely? Maybe you're weighed down with so much anxiety and guilt and shame that if you can sleep, it's only after you've cried yourself to sleep. Sometimes the plan for our life can change in such a dramatic way we never would have seen it coming. Maybe you're addicted to something that feels like such a part of you that, that getting rid of it just seems like an impossibility. Or maybe you're filled with such self-hatred that you even hurt yourself or starve yourself. Or maybe like these people, you're filled with just all sorts of inner chaos, confusion about what the Lord is doing in your life. You're filled with fear and worry and heartaches. Sometimes it seems like those things are controlling you more than anything else, and you just can't figure out a way to turn them off. If you find yourself in a place that you have never planned, if you find yourself confused and dismayed, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus has a better plan for you. He has a plan to bring you from despair to relief. Jesus has a plan, and it's better than what these people saw on the surface. He had a plan to come to these people in their greatest moments of hurt and pain, and be there for them. Jesus was not afraid 
of their disappointment. And Jesus cares about you in whatever state you're in. He has a better plan for you, and he has the power to execute the plan. Jesus tells Martha here in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. This is a profound statement. It's a statement that only Jesus himself can make. For Jesus alone is able to bring the dead to life. Jesus alone is able to restore the broken and the hurting. If you look to anyone or anything other than Jesus for your comfort and your peace, you're making an idol. And your idol is never going to satisfy. Your idol's never going to bring you peace or comfort. It will want you to serve it. It will not serve you. Jesus is able to restore the broken and the hurting. And he does so because he has a great love for his people. Look at verse 35. It's, it's like the first verse most of us memorized in the Bible, right? John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. Right? We, we pretty much all know that one. But think about it. Jesus loved Lazarus. Uh, and, and so on this occasion of, of his death, Jesus weeps. He sees the people mourning. And Jesus weeps. He sees Martha and Mary in despair. And Jesus weeps along with them. Jesus hates to see his people sad. Jesus hates the effect of sin and the sorrow that it brings. Jesus loves us in a way that we really cannot comprehend. It's a love that is so deep that he would weep over your pain just as he weeps here at the death of Lazarus. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? He does. Jesus loves you. So, since he loves his people, he puts his love into action. Verse 43. He summons Lazarus from the dead. Don't don't lose the plot here. Lazarus is dead. He's not sort of dead. He's not mostly dead. He's dead. And Jesus, you know, and and, and, uh, Martha even says to him when he rolls away, you don't want to roll away. He's really dead. There's an odor. You know the old King James? He stinketh. Okay? He's dead. Everybody knows he's dead. They roll away the stone. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Do you see the power that Jesus has? This is important. Follow me here on this. If we're going to trust Jesus with a better plan for our life, then we need to know for sure that he has the power to execute this better plan. Lazarus is dead. Now he's alive. Jesus comes to bring life where there is no life. 
We see this throughout the Bible, don't we? Just beginning in Genesis 1.1, Jesus speaks creation into existence. A little bit later in Genesis, you have Abraham and Sarah. There's no way they can have a baby. They're in their 90s. God makes a way to bring about life when there is no life. The Israelites are stuck in Egypt in slavery. There's no way for them to get out of slavery unless the, the Lord himself brings them out of slavery, gives them new life. When, when David is, is battling Goliath, it, that's a, the entire story is about the Lord being the Savior and providing life for David. The NCAA tournament's going to start this week, and somebody's going to have an upset, and somebody on CBS is going to say, David just slayed Goliath. That's not right. It's not about the little guy beating the big guy. It's about the Lord being the Savior. When, when Ezekiel preaches to the dry bones, they come alive. Can you bring dead dry bones to life? It's God alone who can come to the, to the virgin and open her womb for the man-child. And it's God alone that can come to your dead heart, as dead as Lazarus was, and bring life to your heart. Jesus alone is the resurrection and life, and he cares greatly for his people. He cares greatly for us. The previous chapter, John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to bring you life and bring it to you abundantly. Jesus wants us to have an abundant life. That's why he came. That's not just a, a look, a picture into heaven. Jesus cares about your hearts today. He cares about what's happening in your life today. He has a better plan for you. And he has the power to execute the plan. So I wonder, what's troubling your hearts this morning? Whatever it is, friends, Jesus is not afraid of your mess. Jesus is not afraid of your brokenness. Doesn't matter how ugly, sick, or disgusting your sin might be in your heart today, Jesus' plan is not to leave you in your mess. His plan is to come to the place where you are and meet you even in your hurt. You know, if you think about the, the Gospels, who, who Jesus is, is spending time with, he, he's not looking to spend time with the, the religious people, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. Where does Jesus spend his time? He goes after the, the prostitutes, the, the, the tax collectors, the, the sinners. He goes after you. He goes after me. That's what Jesus does. His plan is to redeem you, to heal you, and to love you. That's what what we see in this passage, Jesus comes to these people and in his grace and mercy and love, he meets them in his power. 
He meets them at the very point of their brokenness and pain. And he undoes the damage that sin has wrecked in their lives. He undoes the, the, the pain and the brokenness. He restores his people. Isn't that what we all want this morning? Don't we want to be restored by Jesus? Don't you want to have your brokenness undone and for him to rewrite your story? I don't know what your story is. We've got lots of people in this room. We have lots of stories. But what if Jesus can rewrite your story? What if Jesus can remove the pain and the shame of your sin? This passage teaches us anything. It teaches us Jesus loves you. If Jesus can rewrite the, the story of these people who've lost a loved one, then he can rewrite your story no matter how painful it might be. And he has the power to make you whole. And when you're whole, you have real purpose. Now Jesus yelled for Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And I can't help but to wonder what Jesus was thinking when Lazarus came out. I, I can't help but to wonder if that was maybe a, a surreal moment for Jesus. For if you let your eyes fall down on, uh, on your Bibles and, and, and look over into chapter 12, verse 12, you'll probably have a, a title there that says, The Triumphal Entry. See, in just a little more than a week, it will be Jesus who's dead. It will be Jesus who's lying in a tomb. It will be Jesus who is wrapped in grave clothes. See, Jesus came for a purpose. And that's from bringing death to life. And the only way to reverse the effects of sin and evil and death and to make you and Lazarus fully human again. And the only way for you to have purpose and a better plan is for someone to take your place. It's for Jesus to become your substitute. And that's exactly what Jesus does. This is why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He becomes your substitute. And he lives the life that you live. And uh, he, he lives the life that you and I should have lived. And he dies the death that you and I deserve. Even the death on the cross. He takes the wrath of the Father. Why does he do that? So that we can be restored so that we can be made right so that we can be made whole and so that we can have a new plan in our life so that you might pass from death to life jesus cares enough about you to die the shameful death on the cross for you then please understand that he cares enough about you 
today and whatever pain or hurt you might be in. And he meets you to bring you abundant life. Please understand, Jesus didn't die for you because you're lovely. You're lovely because Jesus died for you. Friends, Jesus is saying here that broken, (laughs) sinful, evil, dead-hearted, addicted, scared, lonely people are worth it. That you are his purpose. You're worth it to him. I want you to walk away this morning with this. Jesus loves you. Let's pray together. Father God, I I thank you for today. I thank you for an opportunity to look at your word. Lord, I, I ask that this would be made real in our lives, that we'd understand that even in our weakness and our brokenness, that Jesus comes to us to minister to us and to love us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.